Hi, my name is Victor, and this is the second Bible reading today. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 15. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge your brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in the prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is God's word. Hi, my name's John, and today we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It is our second week, thinking about money and finances and giving. And I was encouraged this past week just to hear of how God's word has made some of you reflect on your own generosity. But as we consider this passage now, let's join our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you for how good you are to us. We pray that you will stir our hearts, remind us of your rich grace, and give us hearts that are just like yours. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. Amen. Well, today we are talking about money and finances and giving. And we're talking about this one, because we are guided by Scripture. It is what this passage is about. But two, because it is a heart issue. Money is not just a material matter. It is, in fact, a spiritual matter. And it does speak volumes to what our commitment to God is like. But I'd like to begin today getting us to reflect on how much we have all benefited from the generosity of those around us, but also from the generosity of those before us. I'm sure we've all got our own stories, but let's just reflect. What did it take 
for you to get to be where you are now? Or what did it take for you to come to know Jesus Christ? Now, of course, we trust that God is sovereign and all things fit within his purpose. But humanly speaking, what did it take for you to come to know Jesus Christ? Maybe your parents, your friends, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, your ministers, the staff workers on campus, or even a missionary. Well, you see, all of those people, in turn, were beneficiaries of those who were generous to them, those who trained them, discipled them, invested in them, sent them to Bible college. I guess I want us all to see how there is a long chain reaction of interconnected relationships of those like us who benefited from the generosity of others. Take our church, for example. Now, some of you have been at our church for many decades. Some of you are quite new. Now, what's special about any church like ours is the people gathered. But have you thought about what enables us to gather together, which I'm sure we're all longing for? Well, it was the generosity of those before us. You see, this place where we normally meet, we didn't pay for this land, nor did we pay to build this building. It was the generosity provided by a previous generation, and now it was, it's been passed down to us. In fact, our church property sits on three blocks of land, and this corner block on which this building sits on was generously given in 1907 by the Gibson family who were members of this church back then. And in 1910, this church building was built. And I suspect those who originally gave towards this, this land and the building of this church building would have no idea that over 100 years later that you'd find a church family like ours today. But back then, they gave cheerfully and they gave in faith. And so as we come to this passage, I want us all to keep in mind how much we have all benefited from the generosity of those around us and before us. And so now let's look at this passage. The first point we come to is, how can I make sure, how can each one of us make sure that I too am generous? How do I make sure that my giving would make a difference, perhaps even for generations to come? Well, it's simple. The first point is, you plan what you give. And it goes with many things in life. You don't have because you don't plan. You see, there's no way I'd have a fit and healthy body if I don't plan for that. If I don't plan to eat well or sleep well or exercise well, I'd end up being an unhealthy slog. And I was feeling a bit, a bit like that under COVID. You see, you never accidentally fall into a healthy body. And likewise, there is no way I'd end up having a healthy prayer life if I don't plan to pray. Don Carson once said, Much prayer does not happen because we do not plan to pray. You see, no one accidentally falls into a disciplined pattern of prayer and devotion unless you plan for it. And likewise, there is no way that I'll be generous if I don't plan for it. If I never thought about what my income is and what it would look like for me to be generous within my income, 
then my giving will only end up being part of my discretionary funds or whatever's left over, or only within my comfort zone. But if I plan to give, then it is like offering my first fruits to God to pick up an Old Testament idea. I give my first and my best to God, and once it is set aside, it is given away. Part of the pre-marital counselling course that Yvonne and myself runs for uh, couples planning to get married, we encourage the couples to always budget in generosity. Don't let it be an afterthought. And so the first principle we see in this passage, it's simple. You plan what you give. And that's why Paul was so eager to make sure that before the Macedonians arrived in Corinth to take up their generous gift and to bring it to Jerusalem for those in need there, that they were to make sure they were well prepared. Paul is saying, we've been telling everyone how generous you are in Corinth, and so make sure you are prepared with your gift. And that's what we see in verses 4 and 5. Have a look with me. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, will be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. And so do you see why our attitudes towards money is a matter of the heart? One person gives a gift but does so grudgingly, which means I don't really want to do it inside. Or I question myself, is it too much? Or maybe it doesn't have to be that much. But better a person who plans. How can I be generous with all that God has entrusted to me? And I want to set it aside and I want to give it away. Now, this does not stop us from giving spontaneously as the needs arise. But at the very least, I always plan generosity and so the first principle the first point we see here how can I be generous well you plan what you give it's a simple principle and so you plan what you give and next we see in this passage you reap what you sow well this is a farming illustration if I was a farmer which I'm not and I'm probably not cut out to be one but if I was a farmer and I sow a handful of seeds in the corner of the garden at the beginning of the season I don't even know what season you sow the seeds in but anyway but by the end of the season I'm not going to expect a huge crop if I sow sparingly I'll also reap sparingly but if I sow tons of seed across the entire field generously and abundantly then I'm going to expect a huge harvest If I sow generously, then I'll also reap generously. And it also goes for many things in life as well. I'll reap in friendships. If I sow in friendships, unless I invest in being a good friend, I'll never end up having good friends. But here we are talking about sowing and giving generously, financially, as opposed to sparingly or just being stingy. And so look at verse 6 with me. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. But what does that look like? Well, what it doesn't look like is 
if I give a thousand bucks, then I'm going to expect God to give me back two thousand bucks, a hundred percent return on investment. No, not at all. Instead, the reaping is in what the giving achieves. And so if you give to the poor, then the reaping is to see the poor fed, and that brings joy. Or if you give towards mission work, then the reaping is to see the loss saved. Those who supported our family through Bible college many years ago, they're still, in a sense, reaping. Not that they'll get their money back, but they're still reaping. What their generosity has achieved was that it helped us get through Bible college, become a candidate for ministry, now as a minister of this church. And their reaping is that they get to share, in a sense, in what I am doing now. And it is that same way for us as we sow generously. Someone once said, Your money can make you an overseas missionary without ever leaving your hometown, an evangelist without ever mounting a platform, a broadcaster without ever entering a studio, a Bible teacher without ever writing a book. I really like that. You see, not many of us can really stomach the idea of living in Niger or the Middle East or the mountains of Southeast Asia. But in your giving, you get to share with those who go. And that is the reaping. And so the principle is clear, isn't it? It begins in the heart. And so whatever the amount, 5%, 10 20%, 30%, 80%, It is a matter of your heart before the Lord. Now, I don't know what you give, nor do I want to know what you give. It is a matter of the heart. Is it it a reluctant heart that feels unease when I see the money go out from my bank account? Or is it a, a cheerful heart that sees, wow, God has blessed me so that I can give away that much. You see, it begins in the heart And it is a matter of the heart. And that's what we see in verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And isn't that the type of giver we all want to be? Well, you reap what you sow. But now, how can I go on being generous? How is it possible to go on living and being generous if I'm always giving money away? What if I don't have enough for my daughter's wedding in the future? Don't I need to save up for that? What if I don't have enough to feel secure? Well, perhaps a pastoral word here before we move on. If you are struggling financially and you really can't make ends meet, then please do let us know. The carers team is there to help. It's one of the small ways in which those who have can provide for those who do not have. We're called a church family for that reason. But now coming back to our question, how can I go on being generous and keep on giving money away? How do I survive? Well, do you know what the answer is? It comes down to trust. Do I trust the God who provides. You see, if I am a cheerful giver, look at verse 8 with me. I can trust that. Look at verse 8. And God is able 
to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You see, God provides so that you can go on doing good. If God looks after the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, of course God will provide. And so you can go on doing good. You can go on sowing generously. And so the question is, do I trust that God will always provide for me? You see, the God who calls me to be generous will always provide me enough to be generous. I'll say that again. The God who calls me to be generous will always provide me enough to be generous. And so the question is, do I trust that? It's summed up in verses 10 to 11. Have a look. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And again, we cannot think if I give God more, God will give us more back as a good return on investment. That's in fact being selfish. And there is in fact a flavour of Christianity that teaches what we call prosperity gospel. And it is wrong. We cannot treat God like a genie, like we give to him so that he'll make us rich in the stuff of this world, so that we can buy more and accumulate more. Well, that will be like that rich man in the parable who built that bigger and bigger barn, saving it for his future, only to find out that he'll lose his life. Instead, what we see here, you will be made rich in every way, means God will bless you with both the means and the opportunity to be generous. Not only the money to give, but the opportunities to give it. Not money to keep, to become self-indulgent. That's not what is said here, but money to give away. Money to be generous with. And so the more you give, the more God will give you to give away. Perhaps it's why those who are generous just seem to have more and more and more to give. They never run out. And it's just like in the parable of the talents. If you're faithful with two talents or five talents, God will entrust you with more to be generous with. I'm reminded of Francis Chan, Pastor Francis Chan. I really love hearing his testimony. Have you heard of him? He used to be a pastor of a mega church in Semi Valley, California. He grew the church from 30 people to a few thousand. And he found in his own life, the more he gave away, the more God blessed him to give away. And so as a younger Christian, he gave away and then that grew. And as he grew, he gave away $50,000 a year and then 100000 And then one year, even over a million dollars. He couldn't believe it that God blessed him such a way so that he could be so generous. You see, he wrote a book, Crazy Love, didn't expect it to do that well, but the royalties made over $2 million, which he just gave away. Couldn't believe how much God blessed him so that he could be generous to others. But why was he able to? Well, isn't it because he trusts? You see, you can be generous. You can only be generous if you trust that God will always provide. And finally, where does all this lead up to? The planning to give, the sowing to reap, the trusting in God, the generous, cheerful giving. 
Well, ultimately, it is so that it would all lead to thanksgiving to God. You see, when the money from Macedonia and Corinth eventually made its way to Jerusalem, what happened? Well, the churches in Jerusalem, they would distribute the funds to those in need, those who were experiencing poverty, the widows, the orphans. Now they've got clothes, not just torn rags. The household that was only eating bread and watered-down milk, now they've got meat and fruit and they've got enough. Who will they thank? Well, they know it came from Greece, from the churches there, but they had no idea who gave it, whether it was James from Macedonia who gave 2000 bucks, or Mary from Corinth who gave 5000 bucks. Their name was not on the gift. And so who will those in Jerusalem thank? Well, they will thank God. They will praise God for his gift. The giver of those gifts may never be acknowledged. You know, the right hand gives, but the left hand does not know. But they don't care because they wanted God to be praised. And that's what we see in verses 12 to 13. Have a look. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Men will praise God. And isn't that how it is when we receive an anonymous gift, especially in times of need? During my Bible college years, there was this one time when we received quite a significant gift. We didn't know who it came from. We didn't know. We wanted to thank that brother or sister or that family, but we didn't know who it came from. But God was praised, for every good and perfect gift is from above. And that is how this passage ends. Before we give anything, it is God who gives us everything. Before we give anything, it is God who gives us everything. And of course, the best thing of all God has given us is the giving of his own son, Jesus Christ, who was rich but became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich in Christ. And that's what we see in verse 15, our last verse. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so we plan to give, we give cheerfully, generously, we sow abundantly, and ultimately God gets the praise. And so what do you think this passage has shown about your own heart? Well, if you're one who has never thought about giving as part of what you do in life, it's not part of your budget, it's nothing you've ever planned for, well, it might be time to reflect on what that says about your heart. If you don't believe in God, then you have to hear no one wants your money. Instead, God wants you first to know his indescribable gift for you, that he's given you his own son, Jesus Christ, so that you might have the riches of heaven. But if you are a Christian, then you have to learn to be generous. If you haven't learned to be generous with what God has given you, then it's time to start, and it's not too late. But it mustn't be by compulsion or manipulation but from a willingness of a heart that has understood the grace of God. And so if you want to start, well, here are some quick principles. You see, what I give shows where my treasures lie. And so the first question, who should I give to? 
Well, firstly, as Christians, we should be giving towards what advances the kingdom of God. And so you begin with your local church that you belong to, whatever that is, the church where you are nourished and fed as an expression of your partnership with the mission of the church. And then add on missionaries, local and overseas. And secondly, as Christians, we should be giving towards the care of the poor, the vulnerable and the disadvantaged. And we do so out of Christian love. And of course, there are many other causes to give towards, but begin there. What I give to shows where my treasures lie. Now, how much? Well, we never want to come down to a rule. Because the danger there is, if I give more than the line, whatever that line is, I might start to feel proud. And if I give less than that, then I start to feel guilt. You see, it is a matter of the heart. But how much? Well, the sky's the limit, isn't it? C.S. Lewis, he was asked once, how much should you give? He replied this. He said, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our giving habits do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we want to do but cannot do because our giving expenditures exclude them. I mean, don't you like that? Not a rule, but a principle, and that is between you and God. And so if you have not yet started, even as a student, well, there are some principles for you. Now, for those of you who are already giving, I only have one thing to say. Go back to what you are giving and consider these questions. What does my giving show about my heart? Am I sowing abundantly, generously, because I trust God will always provide? Am I cheerful in my giving? And do I feel the pinch so that it might lead to more people praising God? Well, I started this sermon getting us to reflect on how much we have all benefited from the generosity of those before us, those who ministered to us and even those who left us this building well, I would like us now, all of us, to dream big. In fact, pray big and to give big so that the reaping of the harvest will be seen for generations to come. The work of the gospel from our local church from here will extend not only another hundred years, but that it might reach the nations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will make your grace abound in our lives so that in all things and at all times you will not only grant us what we need but you'll give us the means and the opportunities to be generous with all that you have entrusted to us. Do make us cheerful givers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.